0: This week, we hear what it's like to build a company and then sell it from a founder who has been
1: there. Plus, we'll take a look at what else is going on in Edmonton's lively innovation ecosystem. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Faiza Ramji. And this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton.
0: Hi, Faiza. Um, I don't actually know this about you. Have you ever sold a company that you started?
1: I have sold a company. I didn't start the concept, but I helped um, bring the chopped leaf into Alberta from BCE. And we kind of helped it in its early days. We were store number three. So still building it as a franchise so that we could grow and scale it. Um, and I s- started looking into that around 2009. We opened in 2011 and I sold it in 2017. And funny enough, this is maybe a story for another time, but people always ask me like, oh, so, you know, what broker did you use and this and that? And, and funny enough, I actually sold it on Kijiji. Um, I know most people, are, <laughs> yeah, most people are usually looking for winter tires or a bicycle on Kijiji, but that's where I sold my business. And uh, so, you know, it, 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 uh, it was an interesting journey. And again, like I said, happy to tell the story at another time. But yeah, it's, it's a weird thing selling a company
0: yeah our next our guest this week described it as bittersweet is that mm-hmm. um, was it like all relief or also sadness
1: for you sadness for sure like I think mm-hmm. it's a little bit of both i mean you you pour your heart and soul into something you feel a sense of attachment, you feel like it's been part of you for a long time, and selling it you know for me at least, I had to think about the fact that selling it as a success, not a failure. It's not giving up, right? It's actually leaving on your terms and leaving the company hopefully in a better place. So uh, I I would agree that it it was bittersweet for me as well.
0: Well, uh, last week we discussed this blog post from Sheldon Zhang that he wrote about leaving Yardley, which is a lawn care and snow removal company that he and Terry Song started in 2015. They sold earlier this year, and uh, I thought it was a really candid and interesting piece, and there was a good reason to talk to him a little bit more. So so we had a, a bit more of a conversation.
1: There's so many different ways to exit a company you know, and we're used to the big flashy headlines of like, you know, sold to Google for X million dollars or sold to whoever or acquired by. And I think any change where you're making a decision that's for the betterment of the company, as personal as it can feel, I think it's it's a success. And, um, you know, I think it's an, it's really cool to see companies getting to a maturity stage where we're seeing some successful exits in Edmonton. So I think it says a lot about the ecosystem and where we're going to. And we're not necessarily in the same infancy that we might've been when Sheldon and Terry started Yardly.
0: Yeah, that's right. So uh, let's let's hear their interesting story. Here's my interview with Sheldon Zhang. Uh, Let's start at the very beginning. What made you and Terry Song want to start Yardly?
2: Well, I think uh, uh, as first-time founders, you wasn't intentionally picked as an industry. But uh, at the time, there was a trend in the startup space called Uberization. So you heard a lot of companies that's Uber of this, Uber of that. And uh, and then we thought, hey, you know, in Edmonton, there's never a shortage of snow. So let's start a company, Uber for Snow Removal. And that's how we got started.
0: Tell me a little bit more about the, like the, the, the trajectory, because you didn't just start it. You actually, you got investment to try to grow it and and everything. So it wasn't just like a small business you were trying to start.
2: Yeah, that's right. So um, for a long time, we wanted to uh, start a business. We have a big ambition. We looked, we really got preparing uh, to start a business for over a couple of years, just looking everywhere. Um, and uh, when we stumbled across this opportunity, we both thought it's something that could go really, really big. We had high expectations and uh, we really, we both quit our jobs fairly early on and uh, started both working on this full time, quickly hired a couple of employees and put a lot of personal savings to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, without diving too deep into that, um, you know, because we didn't have the experiences, uh, a lot of the money initially we invested were completely wasted. And uh, we actually did a, f- a lot of mistakes in the beginning that we would recommend other founders not to do. So, so later on, uh, as we did get some traction and we wanted to grow and uh, we were um, lucky enough to, to have some uh, local venture investors supporting us along the way.
0: We'll get into some of those lessons that you learned because you, you've you set up a project to kind of convey those lessons to other people that are that are in your position. But I want to come back to the sale of Yardley because when you uh, when you announced the sale, you called it bittersweet. So I want to talk about the sweet part in a second, but tell me, what was the bitter part?
2: Well, the bitter part was, um, like I said, we had uh, a lot of expectations for the business and we really thought we can... Uh, build maybe a $100 million company that's really ref- revolutionized the way the industry is run. And very, very soon, you know, you, we spent seven years, but uh, very soon we realized that uh, that was uh, a goal that's slightly unrealistic. Um, we kept trying, kept pivoting. We pivoted uh, a couple of times, restructured a couple of times, wasted a lot of money. Um, and then we, we started to learn that uh, some of the limitations with the industry, with the way seasonality works, how things are different from each city, it's never going to pan out to the size of business that we originally anticipated. We're, we learned the, the list of limitations that that's going to stop the company from growing rapidly. Then we started to make adjustments and uh, uh, slow down our growth you know, have a healthy company, fundamentals, start making profits. And then we wanted to keep growing organically. Uh, We never really gave up our dream of becoming a market changing company that completely shifts the way the industry worked. So when we finally decided to uh, sell the company, because we believe that uh, the buyer has a bigger potential and uh, more resources to achieve our vision even though we were very relieved which we can uh, get to later but uh, there was a little bit of sadness that we couldn't really accomplish our original original goals
0: yeah well let's talk about the sweet part then what what was sweet about making that decision and and get and reaching that that exit
2: yeah um so the the sweet part was i think a lot of Entrepreneurs will experience, especially after quite a few years. For that, for for, for us specifically, that was uh, around uh, after six six years, and we, we we just started to feel the the fatigue and uh, sometimes a um, helplessness that you know we we wish the business can turn a certain way, but we've experimented many things and we've understood the the. Limitations of the industry, of um, the some of the technologies we use, some of the realities that we have to deal with in the industry. Both Terry and me were kind of dreaming. Oh, if we only we were building something in that space. If we only we're building a company in that business model. The the biggest joy for us is now we can take everything we've learned and use our experience, network, and um, everything we've learned to, into a, a business that we, we, we carefully pick and uh, uh, align our personal interests with uh, the scalability of the business to, to build something that uh, have a, a lot higher potential.
0: I was noting that you and Terry received the Alumni Innovation Award from the University of Alberta in the spring. Well, pro- probably all in the background, all of this was happening. Was that like weird or did that just feel like, well, we have like accomplished a lot that that should be recognized?
2: So because COVID, we actually were nominated and we knew that we were winning that award quite a while ago. So even when we were receiving that award, these conversations are just only getting started. So a lot of uncertainty because how busy we were still are. Uh, we still were at uh, running the business at the time. So we were kind of, you know, assuming that this will fall through because Uh uh, we couldn't distract ourselves from running operations. It was just too much at stake at pretty much any given time, really, at the the size of the company we were at. So, you know, we were still focused. So when we were receiving that award at the time, we actually just came out of uh, a big restructure where the company was... uh, Growing much uh, more quickly with the restructure, um, we're kind of mentally in a good good place.
0: Okay, <laughs> so it wasn't too much of a of a disconnect. Um, in your blog post that you you wrote about exiting and and then going on to your your new projects that you have going, you said that you were getting used to your new identity. What did you mean by that?
2: Well so for years um because we really came to the ecosystem seeing with our company Yardly and we were one of the few company that's around for quite a long time 7 years we really grew with the ecosystem together and everyone we knew really knew us as the you know the, the Yardly guys and now all of a sudden as I started to change my email change my LinkedIn description I started to think hmm what 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 am I? Um, yeah. Am I just like a, a startup enthusiast now, or uh, how do I define myself? So that that took me a couple of months, a couple of months to think really what I want to do next. So, sometimes still in the middle of night, I would all of a sudden wake up and think, okay, I, I gotta do something tomorrow, and realize, oh, actually, I, actually, I don't. So still yeah. uh, from time to time, I'm used to that. Uh, Old mode of running a business, and 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 it's it feels quite strange, not having to worry about certain things on on weekends, and that still took time to get used to.
0: Is that part of why you started this uh, this side project, Salus Ventures, just so that you, instead of introducing yourself as I used to have a startup, it's like I I do this now.
2: Yeah, actually, it's, uh, it's a complicated story. So. Like I said, even before, so in the latter years of running Yardley, Tara and I already started, you know, uh, conversing about, okay, um, that would be a good industry we want to go into next. And yeah, that's, you know, potentially, oh, that seems like a promising new technology that we could utilize to to build a lot of things. And uh, as we were wrapping up, the first thing we started doing was attending a lot of the conferences. So, it got both of us quite inspired about what we could potentially build that that was really there's a lot of exciting things happening in the startup and tech world people were fixing on a lot of the layoffs but uh, in the background there's a lot of company that's growing very fast a lot of company building new technologies so we're both quite excited and specifically for me i uh, I decided I want to go into fintech fairly quickly after attending collision conference in toronto um and started to working on a problem and then i i've I've decided to kind of put a hold on that project just because um you know I want to take some proper time off and everybody around me was kind of recommending me to take some time off even though Personally, I'm very eager to jump back in and, and start building another company. I think it's, I started to realize that again, because I want to bypass some of the limitations this, with the scalability that we weren't able to do with Yardly. So the thought that I could build a company that's much more scalable was very exciting to me. And I didn't, I feel like more energized than ever. But at the same time, as I mentioned, as I mentioned in my blog, I, I decided to really focus on uh, spending time with the family, kind of educate myself, you know, work on my personal projects that, that's, that's not just about building a company, but giving back to the community, helping other founders. Um, so that's, that's really a lot of these thoughts together. And I decided, okay, I needed a program that I really feel passionate about and I can really use my experience but at the same time really helped the ecosystem grow. We couldn't get, we could not get anywhere near what we did without the help of community. And, uh, you know, also realizing that there wasn't a lot of people like us because it's fairly young startup ecosystem. Um, There was some seasoned advisors who built businesses, but there wasn't a lot of, uh, recent company builders like myself, kind of on the market, advising other businesses, and uh, that's that's why I decided to start Zalis Venture. I've kept calling it a side project because I I don't anticipate I want to run this very long. I want to really take a year's time, help a few companies, and uh, and then I can focus on a, a next startup.
0: Okay. Well, we'll take we'll talk about that next startup in a second. But I do I want to pull on some more threads around Salus Ventures. So you said that you want to use your experience to shorten the trough of sorrow for other early stage uh, entrepreneurs. What do you mean by that?
2: Um, specifically, that's something again I, I reflect a lot on the kind of advices we got over the years. And the kind of changes that we made based on the devices, we we realized that a lot of the times, uh even though we've been getting exper- uh experienced advisors and we have an advisory board, VMS helped us a lot. Sometimes it's it's a fellow entrepreneur that recently did a certain thing, just tells, you gotta do this. I did this not long ago, just do this, right? So Something like that a lot of times was very, very useful because it was very specific recommendation on a certain thing. Also, it's from someone who recently did something that's very similar, who ran into a certain challenge that that just they, they just overcame. That's what made made me realize that these fresh perspective from someone who's recently done it could really help company. Change um, significantly. Again, it's to use our experience, uh, use our our story. Was from between our year three, so to our year six. Even though our revenue have been growing steadily over those time, but the company didn't really significantly went to a different stage until year six. When we decided that uh, we're going to um, change the way the company is operated, and we're going to uh, restructure the team to run more like a business, less like a tech startup,
0: mm-hmm. and we
2: became significantly more profitable in year six. And we we just wish that we could have made a, some of the changes earlier on, um, and then like, give tech entrepreneur a different perspective on how they could really run their uh, businesses, so uh, it's not just about uh, building fancy tech, and, um, you know, getting lots of investment and growth at all cost. And a lot of times, when you accept the fact that every startup is essentially a business, and you have to run it a certain way to 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 operate sustainably, and all of a sudden, a lot of things became very easy for us. Um, again i I wish that uh, I had learned that earlier, so that's yeah. why I'm trying to hopefully uh pass that experience along to to some entrepreneurs in similar stages
0: so if w- when you're thinking about the people that you could help, does it matter whether they uh are the kind of business that needs investment before it can actually grow or whether they're bootstrapping to the point where maybe someday they get uh, investment?
2: I think uh, what, uh, what, what I'm really trying to help is for kind of the companies on the edge um, that, you know, they're looking for investment, but they're kind of running into some challenges uh, or the company that raised some money and really aspire to raise a lot more money and grow much faster. These are the companies that really sometimes don't realize that they have, they have a lot of options. They have a lot of potential ways to fund their growth. And we've really tested every way, you know, bank loans, grants, and angel investments, which we, we raised quite a bit. We understood that the pros and cons. So now I think I'm really trying to give um, a fresh perspective on on all these options to and find what's really the one that, that suits both the company and the founders themselves.
0: So you're going to work on this, like help some people along the way. I applied your very hard-won lessons to, to help some people, but you're still going to work on this fintech idea. What is it about fintech that, like financial technology, I guess that stands mm-hmm. for? What is it about that that interests you?
2: Again, back to that uh, time we, we, we first sold the company. I really wanted to start from scratch and so almost took a huge mental canvas and and then some physical papers as well and write on all the potential industry and started crossing things out these are things that we probably wouldn't I probably wouldn't be good at uh, these are the companies that I have not a lot of interest in these are the company that takes too long to develop certain technology um, so there was a few left then it was just a personal preference that I, I've always felt that money, not, not as a symbol of wealth, but as an a, uh, object, that's this thing that keeps everything flows. And um, if I could really, you know, utilize what I learned to build a business that makes some aspects of people's financial life easier, that could change a lot of lives and the, the, the potential impact and uh, the scalability is what what uh, made me choose that industry.
0: A lot of people are equating these days fintech and cryptocurrency. Is is that connected to what you're doing or is it something separate?
2: Not really cryptocurrency. That's not something I've really spent a lot of time to think other than um, knowing a bit about Bitcoin and uh, talk to some local um, entrepreneurs who is going into that direction. For me, really, because the way um, regulations worked differs between countries to country. I really believe that in Canada we're we are a bit behind in fintech. There's actually a lot we can still do to a lot of problems to solve. Um, you know, there are the wealth simple, the new financials of the world, but there's a lot of other niches that um, you know can build a, a very successful business in.
0: So you, you're you making the wise choice to take a break, make sure that you spend more time with your family after sacrificing a lot of time with them during uh, the development of Yardley. But you seem very clear that you still want to be an entrepreneur. After all that heartache and pressure and difficulty that you've been through, why why not just go work for somebody?
2: In case you haven't noticed, for me, it's a lot of times about making impact, we, I worked as an engineer for close to four years. Sometimes in you know, a very big company for me, I felt like I'm always an outsider in, a, in an organization where I don't feel like I can contribute or make the kind of impact and changes that I would want to. Ever since we started the company, so an interesting story, actually within a couple of months, I decided this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I wrote to APEGA, with you know the, the professional association for engineers, that I renounced all my designations. That wow. I pretty much said, "Thank you so much. I'm, I'm not looking to practice engineering anymore." I really never looked back, and even at her most difficult time, you know, we had to work very long hours and dealing with a lot of crisis, and I never really regretted for a single second that picking this journey. It's it's very rewarding, and I've enjoyed every second of it.
0: Amazing. You you also said in your uh, blog post that you were contemplating relocating. So are are you staying in Edmonton, or are you going to move?
2: Um, for now, I've. It's it's a. There are certain things that, uh, on paper, seems a lot easier when when I wasn't really faced that decision. Then you know, I sometimes oh, I wish I you know. Place that's slightly easier to raise money. There's a bigger ecosystem. And, um, but when I was actually faced with that decision, it's, it's actually very, very difficult after being here, being Edmonton for over, I think close 15 years. And really it's, it's, it's the place that felt closest to home for me, even though I was, I wasn't born and raised in here. It's, it's, it's really home to me. And it was very difficult. And, um, I've decided that I'm not going to make a rush decision right now. I want to start building my business and see where it takes me.
0: I guess the, the last thing I'll ask you is, um, you have a, a wealth of knowledge and wisdom to share with people, but if you could get in that time machine and go back seven years to talk to, uh, past Sheldon, well, what, what's your one piece of advice for him?
2: the The one piece I, I will give myself is that it's a marathon. It's it's not a sprint. Startup, at the end of the day, is is just like any other business. You need the owner and the business to really grow at a pace that's that's really right for both the company and the individual. Um, and really, there's it's got a work for both the, the founder and the company in order for it to really grow for a long time. If there's something that the business is outgrowing, the, 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 the founder, or if the founder is outgrowing the business, there's no way that the company can really have a success. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing I want to tell myself,
0: I guess. <laughs> well, we'll tell other people that, that through this podcast. So thank you so much for joining me. This was great.
2: Thank you, Karen. Thanks for having me.
0: So, one of the things that Sheldon said that really resonated with me was around that idea of identity. So who is he if he's not the guy from Yardley? And I'm wondering if you've had that experience or if, or have observed that in other founders
1: yeah, i think I think we see it all the time, not even just in founders. I think it also can be when you're you know uh, an employee of a company that where you have a very critical role or you've been doing something for a long time. I think it's easy to associate people with what they do rather than who they are. And I can imagine it's really hard to shake. Like I think of some people, you know, founders that, you know, just off the top of my head, I think about Kendall and Justine Barber, you Mm -hmm. know, being the co-founders of Poppy Barley. I don't know what's in the future for Poppy Barley, but if I try to imagine a world post Poppy Barley for either of them, I wonder if they, they would struggle with the same thing. I mean, particularly if they were to go on and do something separately and not together as as sisters and co-founders, so I think it's really easy for us to attach what somebody does to their identity, and I can imagine that it would be really hard to try and find a new identity or or kind of this like post founder identity as you emerge into something new, particularly if you're going into a new industry
0: yeah, yeah, and when you go all in on something which you have to when you're when you're starting a business like that um it's your cool answer when someone asks you at a networking event, what do you do? And so when you don't have a cool answer anymore, or or you don't know what that cool answer is, it's like, there's a loss.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, of course, like you, you know, I'm sure you go through the same thing. You, you're the you're part of the Taproot founder, founding team, and, and you are Taproot, and you're always going to be Taproot, regardless of what happens. And so yeah, I think it's it's a tough thing and I'm I think it's great that Sheldon's like really taking some intentional time to transition to his next thing but also letting Yardley set the stage for what he does next.
0: Yeah. Um I also heard in our interview kind of a tension between trying to build something that's like this big world-changing company that delivers a multiple back to to investors versus Building a solid business that is sustainable and profitable. Sometimes those things aren't at odds, but sometimes they are. And it sounds like for them, they took till year six for them to realize that Yardley was like a good business, but it wasn't like Uber. And uh, I'm so wondering if you've seen that kind of tension in other startups as well.
1: Not one that I can think of off the top of my head. But again, you know, it's kind of back to my comment around exits can look like many things. I think businesses can look like many things. And, you know, I think it requires a lot of humility and self-awareness and reflection to be like, hey, listen, we may not have built the big world changing idea that we thought we were building, but that did lead us to find a really successful way of growing a business and learning something from it and doing something successful with it. And, you know, there's a lot of companies that seem like they're big world-changing ideas, but when you look under the hood, they're terrible businesses mm-hmm. and they're just squandering investor funds away, uh, making headlines every day and not really doing anything responsible with it. I can imagine that there is a lot of tension there for a lot of people, but I think it's it's incredible when a business can run for six years and and realize that and then continue to be successful and sustainable and actually deliver value for the people who've put so much time and money and energy into it.
0: Yeah. It's also making me think of a really interesting post that Ashley Jansen wrote, uh, just trying to persuade people to stop being disdainful of the so-called lifestyle business, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that, that there's such a, in that kind of crush it grinding world of startups, there's, there's like a real look down your nose at a business that Employs you and other people and does good things in the world right totally. and we'll link to that in the show notes it's a it's a good antidote to all that uh crush it guys um yeah. <laughs> I, I the last thing that I just wanted to to surface from from the interview was the, the Sheldon's like very familiar feeling of if I knew then what I know now and that everything would have been so much easier and We don't have a time machine. We can't go back and tell past Karen, don't do it like that. You're wasting your time there. All of the things that I wish I could tell her. Um, It does sound though, like with Zalus Ventures, uh, Sheldon is going to be able to help a few other founders benefit from those lessons that he learned the hard way.
1: Yeah. Which I think honestly is, is so needed. You know, I'm sure we've all been told by you know, industry professionals, consultants, people who definitely know what they're doing, but you kind of get advice from people and you're like, man, you just don't know what it's like to be in my shoes and have to make this decision with real money that affects my real employees and affects my real livelihood. And I I just think real world experience, if people can share that more, it doesn't make having a business easier, but it makes being in that position a lot easier. Uh, and I think it also helps people feel a little less lonely in their entrepreneurial experience. There's a podcast I listen to. It's it's really it's a US-based um, podcast and it's for businesses that are in the direct-to-consumer world. And there's a ton of these podcasts. It's not like they're in any shortage. But this one in particular, I really like because the two people that speak on there are people who have actually, they talk about the experience using their own dollars and their advice is so, or their perspective is so pragmatic. That you can tell they really think carefully about how they spend their dollars and they understand the impact that it has. Like you're basically deciding between, you know, marketing or paying your rent or marketing and paying someone's salary. And those are big decisions. And and I don't think that those are the only challenges that Sheldon's going to be helping people get through, but definitely real world world experience. If if people can share that and if he can build an advisory service out of that, um, I mean, I'm sure he'll have people clamoring at his door.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we'll link in the show notes to his blog post, so you can see the kinds of founders that he's hoping to help. But it's er- he says early stage, but it's not people that are right at the beginning. He's looking for people who have uh, been at it full time at least two years, have at least one hundred thousand dollars in revenue, and are trying to get investment ready. That's the the sweet spot that he thinks he can help you if that is you. So get in touch. He's a he's a thoughtful guy, and and he has been through it. We'll take a break to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll take a look at some other happenings in local innovation. Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. Here's a message from our sponsor. The world
2: needs what Edmonton offers, a vibrant city of risk-takers committed to tackling global challenges like the climate emergency, public health, food security, digital inclusion, social justice, and reconciliation. Edmonton-based solutions are exactly what international markets demand and where
1: investors want to deploy capital. At Innovate Edmonton, we're positioning our city as an inclusive global innovation capital, supporting innovators of all stripes and putting innovation into the public realm with our groundbreaking new
2: downtown home. Check us out today at InnovateEdmonton.com.
1: This episode of Bloom is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Alberta Blue Cross understands that running a small business is tough, and they understand that business owners in Alberta are busy. Let Alberta Blue Cross give you peace of mind with a group benefit plan. They offer health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Alberta Blue Cross group benefit plans are easy to manage, anywhere, anytime, and on any device, making it easy for you and your employees to access. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca.
0: So the TELUS Community Safety and Wellness Accelerator named its second cohort of companies that are working on innovative social impact solutions. There's Twenty companies in this cohort, but three of them are from Edmonton. Um, One of them is Islamic Family and Social Services Association, which has been working on a couple of apps to better deliver its services. Taproot wrote a story about them uh, a little while ago, and we'll link to that. Um, The other one, another one, is Technology North, which provides meaningful employment for people with autism spectrum disorder and uh VR pathways which has created a virtual reality experience called VR brain to help support a healthy mental state. Got any thoughts on any of those?
1: No, but I think it's I think in general it's great to see an accelerator that's focused on safety and wellness. Um mm-hmm. you know, I think in the US they do a really good job of creating social ventures that are, you know, innovative, they're they they generate a lot of revenue and are able to do a ton of great things instead of being just fundraising all the time. Um, and so I like that we're bringing that mentality a little bit to Canada. And uh, it's great to see companies from Edmonton being involved in in things that are just beyond our borders because it just validates what we've got going on here. I do think Technology North, I've heard of them before. I think they've been part of the um, the startup ecosystem for a long time and probably made a few pivots because I, I didn't know they were doing anything um, you know, in the ASD space. So Curious to to learn a little bit more about what they're doing now.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm eager to learn more too. Someone very close to me is on that spectrum and uh, there's a employability possibilities there. I'm very excited. And I I think we're going to look a little bit more into VR pathways because I'd like to l- learn a little bit more about what what they're up to. Uh, I also mentioned that the first cohort saw Arido Labs and PalCares come through as the local companies and Arido Labs ended up getting investment out of the accelerator from that. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we also noted in the Tech Roundup this week, a couple of awards in the industrial innovation space. So Growing Greener Innovations won the Alternative Energy System Innovation Challenge in Saskatchewan for its Grengen and Copperstone Technologies, who we featured in episode 18 of Bloom was a runner up in, in uh, KPMG's Canadian Tech Innovator Competition.
1: Yeah, you know, it, to me, I just feel like we are such an industrial... Place and um, I always get excited when when companies from here are chosen for these types of competitions. I have a soft spot for Copperstone Technologies just because uh, I think uh, Craig and the team over there, you know, they're really doing something interesting. I mean, of course, so is Growing Greener. They're doing amazing things as well. But anytime that we can shed a light on the ways that you know our oil sands and our mining and, and all the industry that we have in this province is actually kind of creating a playground for making things better and making things more just better for our environment and and really focusing on the positive side and the innovative side i think is is exciting so good job to them
0: yeah and connie stacy at growing greener innovations is is like really a force of nature and every time i hear her talk about business and uh making a difference in the world it's very inspiring so i'm glad that uh company got a little bit of a feather there. Finally, I just wanted to mention that Soren Mihailovic of Scam Detector got some ink in the LA Times uh, last week talking about a Venmo scam. I just find it so interesting how he has built this world-renowned fraud prevention resource, like the Wikipedia for Scams, basically, right here in Edmonton. Uh, and then he also has like this crazy side project, this TV show called travel by dart that uh, has got some traction. He's got some TV deals in the States and, and, in uh, elsewhere in the Americas. Um, I don't know. Do you know, Soren, or do you just like me follow him on LinkedIn and, and every day go, wow, holy,
1: No, <laughs> you know, I, this is the first time I've heard of him and, uh, but it's really it's really interesting what he's doing and and I always wonder about people that are based in Edmonton that attract so much attention in other markets like how do they how do they get there how do they start I'm always curious and it does seem like we are a little bit of a we have a history of creating expedias um yes. you know whether it's Investo or now the scams uh resource but that's pretty neat and he seems like a very interesting person definitely somebody who obviously gets motivated motivated enough by cool ideas to just run with them. So good for him.
0: For sure. We'll link to all that in the show notes. And uh, of course, don't miss your chance to learn about this first from Taproot's Tech Roundup. You can sign up for it and our other roundups at taprootedmonton.ca.
1: That's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And as always, if you like this episode, share it with a friend.
0: Bloom is produced by Tabroot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave On Beaker and cover art by Vicky Wersinski. Bye.